Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all and equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons for the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Amanda Drury. She is Associate Professor of Practical Theology at the School of Theology and Ministry here at Indiana Wesleyan University. And this week's text is Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already so that you never miss an episode. And if you're listening, and while you're listening and you're enjoying the show, uh, hit the share button on your podcast app of choice, and that'll pass on the show to others. Uh, let them know what's going on. Use your social media or whatever through a text or whatever. Let people know about the show if you're digging it. Get the word out. We appreciate that a ton. If so, uh, thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Amanda. So today we are looking at Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. Yeah, so this is for the first Sunday after the Epiphany, um, which is also the day to remember um, the baptism of the Lord for various reasons. And we're looking at Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Do you want to read and then I'll say a word of prayer or do you want me to read? I will read. Okay, go for it. Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we ask that your living word, spoken in the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, that word which was living and active in him, would be living and active in us, in Amanda, in myself, and in all those who listen in across time and space. 
May your living word be heard. May your spirit empower us all to hear what you wish us to hear. May our eyes be opened, though by our nature and by our sin, they are deprived of light. We sit in darkness of ourselves. So it is only by you that our eyes may be opened, as is promised in this very prophecy. So we cling to that promise and cling to you in faith that you will guide us not only to mental clarity and remembrance uh, for understanding and knowledge of human things, but that your divine things would be uh, perceptible to us. By the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is your living word in the flesh, we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> cool. Well, as a just introductory uh, note, um, I thought it would be fitting that, um, though we'll follow the usual threefold pattern, right? Observation, interpretation, uh, application, sermon starters in the third section, that it might be helpful to sort of restrict ourselves to what the ancients referred to as the literal sense, the census literatus during mm-hmm. the first third, and then then loosen those constraints during the second section Okay. of our conversation. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's when what, again, the ancients would refer to as the spiritual senses, which include New Testament connections and larger themes and the moral meaning, the eschatological meanings, all those meanings <clears throat> can kind of come in to bear. So that was my little idea. Is that, yeah. is that cool? That sounds okay. good. So let's hug the text as text uh, for that first uh, little bit. Okay. Does that sound good? Okay. Yeah. So with that said, uh, what, what grabs your attention as you uh, read this text afresh today? It's so funny. For as, for as long as I can remember this passage, I've always uh, jumped to the spiritual meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so looking at this now, I mean, my mind immediately goes to the, who is, who is this person? Is this a specific person? Is this a, a, a people? Is this, because it sounds like he's describing someone in particular. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I can cheat a little and offer. So, and, and our listeners know things that you don't know because we work ahead in our <laughs> recording and we don't always go in order in our recording. So any of our listeners who were uh, plugged in last week, um, we, the, the text for the second Sunday of Christmas this year was a passage from Isaiah 63. And it was another of these servant songs as okay. they referred to mm-hmm. and was with, with uh, DJ Freemeyer or Daniel Freemeyer. Yeah. Okay. And, um, so he schooled me on ah. <laughs> servant song interpretation. And then, um, the, I'm going to make sure I'm saying it right, but yeah, no, no, for sure. Next week, uh, for our listeners, is what is Larissa Larissa on Isaiah 49, which is the, like the second major servant song after this one. So great. So I'm sandwiched between two old Testament <laughs> scholars. Thanks for that. <laughs> well, I, I have a hunch that you have your own, a contribution to make Mandy. So don't worry <laughs> about it, but your humility uh, is even if slightly false humility is uh, greatly appreciated <laughs> and honorable. I wish I had more of it. Um, and 
I hope this is humble enough to say what I received from them, I pass on to you. That that the kind of this theme, one of the sort of themes in in the interpretation of these texts is this ambiguity, right? Mm-hmm. And so, despite the worry that you're sandwiched between these <laughs> scholars, they they're not on the same page. Mm-hmm. And and I tried oh, to pick a I tried to get them to pick a fight, but it didn't work. Okay, so we'll do it this week. But I mean, so listeners who listened to to Dan you'll last week know that he sort of highlights the ambiguity that okay. it could be that there are pa- that 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 the servant is a symbol for Israel okay my chosen one uh-huh. spoken uh-huh. of in the singular just like he calls because of course Israel was the name of an individual right Jacob uh-huh. his other name Israel and often in parallelism you'll have psalms or that talk about uh Jacob and Israel you know um so um, but it could be this individual person who seems to be this kind of saving, rescuing figure. Mm-hmm. But it also in a literary in a in a literary way at least, it's kind of the prophet <laughs> kind of striking a pose, playing the character. Okay. Um But there are times when it also seems like it's this kind of divine figure. You know, a, a, not identical, but akin to like the Son of Man in in Daniel okay. or or the Messiah in other passages. Mm-hmm. Now, Laura, who those who are listening on schedule haven't heard this yet, but Laura goes for a reading that, as it unfolds, it clearly moves towards a single figure, and it is the Messiah. Okay. So she takes okay. a kind of messianic reading. Sure. Uh, and I'm not saying Daniel denied that, but he definitely emphasized the. It's it's constantly going back and forth, and okay. you don't need, and it's not an absolutely fixed reading. Now, I could be misrepresenting them, and we'll find out when they come back. <laughs> Actually, Daniel is coming in later today to record another episode, so I'll check this with him. But anyway, <laughs> um, sorry to go down the that little no, primrose path, but it, it it directly speaks to your question, right? And it seems to me that at least here in this first major servant song, it's very ambiguous, and in fact. It would be very natural to hear it as just a metaphor for Israel. Can't you hear it? Yeah. You know, this is my servant whom I uphold, my elect, my chosen in whom I delight. I mean, that's that's Israel language. Right. If all you had was the Bible prior to Isaiah, your natural hearing of that is, you know, I've put my spirit upon him and he shall teach the true way to the nations. See, so it's not him teaching Israel. As an individual teaching Israel, here it sounds like it's Israel as a whole teaching the nations, Hmm. you know, just like as a blessing to the nations. Not cry or loud or make his voice in the streets, not break even a bruised reed or snuff out a dim wick. So instead of, won't make a big scene, but will simply bring forth the true way and will not grow dim or be bruised till he has established the true way on earth and the coastlands shall await his teaching Thus said God, the Lord, who created the heavens and the earth, stretched them out, spread out the earth, all that brings forth. I, the Lord, in my grace, have summoned you and have grasped you by the hand. I mean, that's straight out of like Hosea, right? Like taking Ephraim by the hand and leading right. him out of Egypt, right? right? Um, you know, I created you and appointed you as a covenant people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's pretty clearly, right? A covenant people. Right. <laughs> so at least in 42 so far. It has a sort of vibe, but like you said, it's very clearly a singular at the same time. And the people of Israel are themselves in exile. So they are 
fittingly, a people in prison who need rescued by some leader, mm. by some individual. Mm. So anyway, I've gone on and on and on in response to your question. I apologize. But, yeah, that helps. Thanks. Um, so having heard all that, does anything jump out now at you? Do you, do you does that nudge you in a different direction or what, what's your thoughts now? Yeah. So especially this first part here talks about bringing forth justice, bring forth justice. It says mm. that a few times. It's hard for me to imagine justice that doesn't somehow involve lifting your voice or, yeah. uh, or, or breaking bruised. Re- well, I suppose it depends on what that, what that read is, but, uh, there, this is, it sounds very, very passive and calm, at least this, this first part here. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know. The images I have of justice tend to be more robust, I might say. <laughs> Yeah, the imagery of two and two and three is is strange, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's play with the contrast that you're hiding uh, highlighting, okay. right? Mm-hmm. So you're saying that when you think of justice, it would have the 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 atmosphere that that's opposite to two and three. So maybe we could like actually play that out. Sure, sure. So verse two, um, he shall cry out. And shout aloud and make his voice heard in the streets. <laughs> right. He'll he'll break, you know, every little reed. Yeah. You know, and snuff out every flame. Right. Yeah. He shall bring forth the true way. Right. And the rest of it fits. Right. Right. Won't, right, won't right. get won't get tired or weary until established the yeah truth and justice. So it is weird. Yeah. It's this kind of whispering uh, truth. Mm-hmm. Um. So what is a justice that that I can't help but thinking of our of our middle child, you know, who's sneaky. That's her <laughs> that's her self ascription. When asked what what are you like, she says, sneaky. Mm-hmm. That ability to just kinda tiptoe into a room and know exactly what's going on. Whereas we Whereas the kind of justice that you're talking about is the our oldest son and his love for justice, which uh-huh. is not which everybody knows about, <laughs> which is not a tiptoe or a quiet voice, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. Because we associate justice with indignation and protests and, uh, and protests. signs and yeah. gathering people, oh, mobilizing people together. You know, we may make our voices heard for the sake of justice. And so I'm, I'm trying to think of even examples that we have today of, of you know, what what would quiet justice look like? Hmm. Maybe quiet's the wrong word, but uh, doesn't cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Well, I don't know. This seems to be why it might be really helpful to think, at least in the first instance, not exclusively and not finally, but in the first instance, to regard Israel as the servant or the servant as Israel. Because it's not Israel that brings justice. Hmm. <laughs> it's the it's the sight. The, 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 the place, the, 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 the means through which God brings justice, mm. right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that works or not, but because I mean, even look at six, right? I, the Lord, in my grace have summoned you, grasped you by the hand. I created and appointed you as a covenant people, a light to the nations, right? Yeah. So this is God acting, right? Mm. And the action is by way of light. Right. And light makes no sound. Yeah. Now, now we're getting into something. Yeah. Like oh, interesting. Maybe. Uh-huh. So this isn't the usual, the kind of, it's not that it's 
you're right. It's the point isn't that it's quiet. It's almost that it's silent. Mm -hmm. It's almost more radical. You know, it's a justice that comes by way of, I I can't help but go here, but truth. Right. Right. It's the, and those are like the, the words that keep appearing. Right. Um, justice to the nations bring forth justice. Verse three, for ver- until you establish justice on the earth. That's three times mishpat, right? Three mishpat? times what mishpat is, is just the word for justice. justice? Yeah. Okay. But there's also the word for truth. It's translated, I think, faithfully, maybe in verse three. How do you have it? How does verse I've three got, go for you? Uh, faithfully. Faithfully bring forth justice. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, th- that's the end of three, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. No, that's good. Faithfully works. Yeah. Yeah. I just faintly remember there being uh, the word truth appearing here, but that could be just up in my head or I might be thinking of a different text. But but the point stands um, that uh, it, this imagery of light seems to be really important. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure that's why the lectionary framers select this for Epiphany, right? Epiphany is right, all about right. the light shining, the revelation to the nations yeah. in the Magi, in the baptism of Jesus, and the you know, in the early – Moments of Jesus' life. I see your wheels turning. <clears throat> I'm just thinking about when something is witnessed to by light instead of noise. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, there's a sense in which if you if you have to talk about it, is it really there? That's <laughs> yeah. You know, there's something powerful to be said about a kind of justice that you can see without having to explain. Just kind of this lived out uh, reality that's there, and the light that shines light on other things as well. So perhaps it's the light that shines light on injustice, just as justice is being done. Exactly. Oh, that's good. I mean, if we continue on in the rest of the passage, I mean, verse 10 is sing to the Lord a new song, sing his praises to the ends of the earth, right? All those who go down to the sea, you islands and all who dwell, let the wilderness lift up. Huh. Settlements, right? Yeah. Oh, lots of lots of noise here. Yes, right. Shout <clears> from <throat> the tops of the mountains. Declare his praise. But it's he cries out, shouts aloud. Wow. But it's the nations and the lands. Huh? It's not the servant who's doing this. Yeah. You see it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because look, verse twelve. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise to the coastlands. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. Not the servant. The Lord is yeah. going to come forth as a warrior. And coastlands, ra- we've got back in verse four too. Exactly. The coastlands wait for his teaching. So everyone around, right? The Philistines and the and Tyre and Sidon, these would be coastland nations near to the mm-hmm. land of Israel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas the nations to the north are Assyria and Babylon, they're you know, and 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 then the the wilderness is, you know, down in the Negev and even to Arabia, right? So these are all the places around Israel. Right. None of these describe Israel. Right? You see it? Yeah. So, I mean, some of these are, some of these are places in Israel, but it's like the whole land and all the lands around and all the nations are being drawn. They're supposed to be singing yeah, because God, the Lord is rendering, making things just, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're moving outside of the, I know the, the parameters here of our verses. That's good. No, that's good. Uh, verse 14 too. For a long time, I have held my peace. Mm. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. That's some noise for you. Yeah. Right. So it isn't a total silence, right? It's rather the, the particular, for lack of a better word, a particular 
silence of the servant, mm-hmm. right? Who again, getting ahead, but in the, in the, in the fifties, right? Isaiah 55 and others, you know, led like a lamb to the slaughter, right? Um, um, making no complaint, right? So the image of the servant becomes one who suffers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And again, Israel is one who suffers, but also there is the, the true Israelite, the, the, the king of Israel, the Messiah who suffers, right? And here we don't get that full-blown suffering imagery, but we get the silence. Mm-hmm. It's not, but it's so clear that the servant is not the one doing the action here. Yeah. I don't know if that clicks, but yeah, that, that helps. I'm glad we kept going because it clarified that this isn't quiet justice, which was our initial hunch. And then right, you were right, questioning right. it. You're like, well, maybe not what? quiet. <laughs> it's a silence in service of justice. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, Because... The servant of the Lord knows who is the one who will make things just. And it's Mm -hmm. the Lord himself. Because God is the one who created all things. Verse 5, right? That's the appeal. Mm -hmm. Verse 3 here. Mm -hmm. A bruised reed, a dimly burning wick. Would these be... uh, Are these these the weak and the vulnerable? Are these Mm. the, um, the... The... Enemies, the not so great people, the forgotten people. Wow. I'm so glad you asked that because I just took it immediately in parallel to verse two. And so missed the possible extended alternative meanings of these phrases to think. I mean, if, if, if we, if it stands alone, a bruised reedy will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish, he will faithfully bring word justice. This sounds like bringing justice for the weak. He's not, he's not going to bring, he's not going to let, it, this is justice without collateral damage, right? Hmm. Yeah. Cause, cause you know, when we, when you wage war, even a just war, it always has collateral damage right. and the collateral right. damage hurts the weak most of all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So even if you're toppling an oppressor, it's the oppressed that you're trying to liberate who bear the brunt of the pain caused by war. It's just, it's, this is just mm-hmm. the reality of how, how the imperfect justice of this life looks like. And a bruised reed, he will not break, you know, dimly. I mean, this, that's what those images could be taken as I heard them. I just accidentally, I'm not, it's not definitive at all. Took it as continuing the theme from two, right? Not crying out, right? Not making his voice heard in the street. And these are images of, sort of gentleness or tenderness that go with that, right? Being right. Qu- this silence in verse two is followed by a kind of tiptoeing in verse three, right? Sure. <clears throat> Cause the imagery, I mean, it, you don't even have to, you don't even have to go in some time machine to the ancient, to the ancient world uh, to capture the imagery, right? That if you're walking through the woods and if there's a, a reed that's already bruised and ready to break and you don't break it, that means you're tiptoeing around every possible thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you're walking so slowly that if you go past a little wick that's almost out, you won't blow it out because you're walking so slow, right? So I pictured it as a slowness and a carefulness, but I think it could have that double meaning very easily. Um, I, I won't, I won't uh, rule that out at all. Well, either way, it shows, it shows a servant who is noticing yeah. You know, those are, those are things that would be very easy to walk by, to not pay attention to. Uh, 
but this this attention to to what's weak, to what's vulnerable. And it even fits verse four then, right? He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. I mean, that implies this is a kind of patient, careful, timely justice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which means take your time, see what needs justice, enact it. Whereas like, you know, the best way to get disheartened and crushed is to, you know, run roughshod and try to bring justice in a second. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I might be reading too much in, but but there is all this waiting, right? The coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Well, great. Let's take a break and come back and go into new places and see where we want to go with this. All right. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Amanda Drury, and we're looking at Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. And we've been trying to stay close to the text, try to make sense of what's in front of us based on what we do and don't know about the original setting. And now as we begin to interpret uh, the passage, um, we can, like, it's like we had the, we had the, the, the bumpers in, in, uh, <laughs> in bowling, right? And mm-hmm. let's take those, take those limits off and okay, go wild, right? If there's, take some risks now in our interpretation. Um, you'd already mentioned, uh, that, uh, you've never really not gone straight to a sort of Christological meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go there. What are some things that immediately come to mind on that front? Oh, well, uh, the first verse. Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. I mean, this is synoptic language for baptism here. Oh, yeah. You are my son, mm-hmm. my chosen one mm-hmm. in uh, Luke it's not my beloved. It says my chosen. Oh. So that even fits that language. Right. In whom I delight, in, in whom I take pleasure. Yes. And you said this is the week of baptism? Yeah. So, I mean, there's uh, Epiphany is, at least historically in the early centuries, is basically uh, – the Greek Christmas, right? Right. <laughs> and then the Latins had their Christmas on December 25th and they had the January 26th. And so when you kind of start combining the two, um, you know, at least in the West, then I, the idea was like, okay, well, we'll celebrate the nativity on Christmas 25th, 12 days of Christmas. And then the sixth becomes the epiphany, the manifestation of Jesus. And there's a, but there's a number, even in the ancient world, there were a number of things associated with epiphany, not just, uh, it was always the beginning was the point because it's the beginning of the new year in terms of the, the, um, the winter solstice and all that business. Right. Yeah. And so there's lots of ways to begin the story of Jesus though. Right. Do you begin with Christmas? Do you begin with his appearance in the temple? Do you begin with. Um, his baptism, which is where John and Mark start. So two out of four gospels just start with baptism. So it's a natural starting point. So over time, as the liturgical year developed, you kind of, okay. you kind of lay it out. So epiphany is a kind of ends up being a couple weeks of different epiphany things. Okay. Um, pardon the, the excursus, but you get, so you get epiphany itself is the magi. And then the first Sunday after epiphany is baptism. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea at least. So yeah. that that language, I mean, would this would this have been well known enough that those who witness the baptism of Jesus and they hear this pronouncement, 
do, do their oh, minds heavens. immediately go to Isaiah 42? Like, is this a, oh, wait, oh boy, you know, connecting dots here. Well, I mean, so whatever's I in the heads of the people in the crowd, it's clearly in the mind of the, the of gospel the writer, writer yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, I mean, Mark, it's, it's not a, in Mark, it's pronounced you. It, it may be a private message to Jesus. Hmm. It's not clear who else heard it. And then you get the same claim comes out of the sky with out of the cloud at the transfiguration too. Sure. Which is the last Sunday in Epiphany before Lent, you know? So, but again, that's a kind of private community. So, um, but yeah, in Mark and in, and in Luke, it comes off more as a kind of public event and people hear the voice, although no one comments on the voice. So it's kind of, you know, uh, but clearly I think <laughs> the author is, this would be one of, if not the only, but definitely one of the illusions being made. Sure. Illusion. No, illusion. illusion. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, man. I, I don't think I'd ever noticed how sort of like almost obvious the allusion to Isaiah 42 is in the baptism scene. Oh. I mean, apparently this is – you already had thought this a long time ago. You said this is a way – the connection that you had made before. Right, about right. this text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm going to look up real quick and see what the other texts are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got Matthew 3, 13 through 17. So that's a baptism okay. text. And it's got Psalm 29, which makes sense. And then Acts 10, 33 through 43. Um, you know, then, and it's a sermon from Peter uh, when he preaches to the. Uh, to Cornelius and his household in order, and then they get baptized, right? Hmm. Um, so it all kind of fits that, that theme. When Jesus had been baptized, as he came out of the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending, which is what you get in also in verse one, right? Right. Like a dove and alighting on him and a voice saying, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased or in whom I delight is a possible translation. I like that word delight more than pleased. Me too. I always translate it that way. Yeah. Why so? Say why. Pleased sounds like a a transaction or a, a reward for something. Oh, it's a... Delight makes me think, I love this person just because. There doesn't have to be a rationale behind delight. Yeah, I'm pleased with what you've done, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of vibe that it sounds like. Too easily. I'm going to look something up. So, say something smart. <laughs> something smart. <laughs> Not smart. Something. <laughs> no, oh, geez. Well, I'll just tell you what I'm looking up. Yeah, what are you looking up? So, I'm looking at Matthew uh, 3. I should comment quickly. I mean, if you start any anyone who's new to lectionary preaching, or even if you've been doing it for a long time, um, it's not a given that you're expected to like, you know, preach on all the passages. Actually, uh-huh. I think that's unwise. I, mm-hmm. That's why we set it up this way. We're just doing one. Um, how, how do you decide which one to do? How to for for this podcast for the podcast? Yeah. 
Uh, well, we don't go week to week. We kind of pick for a season. Okay. So we just went with the gospel text for the whole first year. Yeah. And it. then when year Got A it. kicked in in, okay. in Advent, we said, okay, that was just too much New Testament. So let's go OT for a while. So we're going to go OT for a while. We, I don't know how for, I don't know for how long. Definitely for the rest of Epiphany and I, and for Lent. Okay. We're going to stick with OT. So whether we'll crank OT all year, I don't know. Um, that's been debated amongst the, you can have an opinion on that. I, I regard you as you're on the inside and we can talk about it on, <laughs> that, on air. It that hurt. pleases me. Does it please you? Yes. Delights me. Um, behold, uh, oh yeah. In whom I am well pleased to judge the nations. Israel, my chosen, in whom my soul uh, takes delight. Yeah. I have given my spirit upon him. Yeah, so all I was looking up was just to see if the... Uh, and there is a loose... The, the language is really close. Whether the language of uh, of delight was um, identical. And it's not, but it's close. It's connected word. Um Man, I think that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful. Of course, then then that raises the problem of verse 2 right away then, again. He shall not cry out or shout aloud or make his voice heard in the streets. Um, How so? We're- well, this doesn't sound like Jesus. <laughs> or maybe it does. Well, I, I think so. I mean, John the Baptist certainly we know is that's true. a voice calling in the wilderness, but but... Do, do we have? You're right. Is he's Jesus always, yelling? And he's actually all out. He's always. He's actually usually not in the towns. Yeah, they come out to him. Right. And then verse three has real resonance with his healing ministry. Yes. Yeah. And the visit to Tyre and Sidon and these and the Syrophoenician woman and all that. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I can't. This is one of these things where. This isn't really Isaiah exegesis, but it's it's good exegesis of the gospel narratives that they would see that as, oh, this is this is the servant out on the coastlands, right? Uh, <laughs> um, bringing justice even beyond the boundaries of Israel. Um, and then the God who speaks, I, the Lord, um, verse two, have called you in righteousness. Verse six, right? Yeah. I, okay. I hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people and as a light to the nations. Right? So then the language, the notion of Christ as the one who fulfills the covenant, right? Who enacts right. the covenant and then as a light to the nations. And that phrase light to the nations appears in 49 as well. Mm-hmm. And it appears in the nuke Dominus in a, a Simeon's song. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, Mine eyes have seen the salvation for all the peoples, a light to the Gentiles, Mm. the glory of your people Israel. And then to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness, the prison, right? I mean, this has obviously healing language, but also the imagery of speaking the truth. mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So verse four, Mm -hmm. that word until I find Mm -hmm. interesting. So he will not grow faint or be crushed. Until he has established justice in the earth. So is that saying that he will grow faint and he will be crushed once this happens? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, boy, that's not how I heard it, but but I see why you're saying that. Um, How'd you hear it? 
Well, I'm a, like, I took it as, as an idiom for saying, how would we put it? How's a modern idiom? Um, I will not rest until justice is done. Right. Okay. And does that mean, okay. and then you're to respond, it would be, it would be sort of excessively literal to then say, are you saying you're going to take a nap right after justice is done? <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, but like, that's not the point. Isn't the point isn't my exhaustion after, mm-hmm. although it does give the imagery. I mean, what is, what does Christ do now that we're in that phrase? Right. I mean, he dies, he rises again, he ascends into heaven and what? Sits. Yeah. Right. right? So not that he's like, although it's a fun kind of image actually for a moment just to play with. Right. Of Christ kind of like, <sighs> like finally sitting down on the throne. Like, okay. <laughs> Putting his feet up. Right. And that's why that imagery actually in the story of Stephen is so striking when it says that he sees him standing by the throne. Mm. It's always sitting. It's never standing mm. at the right hand. Right? Oh, I don't think I'd notice um, that. I, I mean, there's debate about how to interpret that, but at least it stands out because it has a kind of getting back up to do some justice work or something, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in many ways, this whole story is being fulfilled again. So, we, so I mean, uh, forgive another excursus. I'll try to keep this one briefer than the <laughs> earlier one today. But uh, so the ancients, when they would talk about the spiritual senses, they would talk about the three the three senses, okay. the, the allegorical, the tropological and the anagogical and the allegorical would be mainly how things in the new Testament fulfill things in the old. That's the main use of that term. It has other meanings and the word gets thrown around for other things sometimes, but actually again, the, the, the ancient Christians tended to use it in that pretty precise sense of like the, the, the conversation you and I just had would have been allegorical uh, in their sense, right? They would use tropological for what we would usually call allegorical, which is, how it applies to our life, right? Mm-hmm. How would we live this out? What does this look like in the life of the soul or life of the community in our own time even, right? Or throughout history. And you see a kind of small version of that already in the Stephen story, right? That in some sense, yes, Christ has, is already brought forth justice, but in another sense, he's still working for justice. Yeah. And so then this describes the life of those who bear Christ's name. Christians are called to live a life that befits the life of the servant who hmm. we, who is our shepherd, right? Right. And we can get into that if we want to come back to that. And then just to finish the, the excursus, the anagogical sense is what, what might be called an eschatological sense. So the sense in which these are, these words aren't fulfilled until the very end, right? And how this speak, and clearly there's some of that going on here too, because some of this, um, you know, total perfect justice you know, that's visible and a light to all, right? Is not yet been enacted, you know? Yeah. Even if there is a perfect justice in the cross of Christ, it remains hidden, Hmm. right? And so um, it remains hidden to to the nations, right? It's still making its way, right? So the full and complete fulfillment of this comes at the end. At the end of time. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that little triplet's kind of nice. It's actually pretty intuitive. It's like, how has this already been fulfilled? How is it being fulfilled? And how will it be fulfilled? Right. It's really, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not as, uh, you know, sometimes allegorical spiritual interpretation can get a little confusing and wonky, but it's, it's actually, there's a certain, I hope, hopefully intuitive hmm. kind of 
basis for it. Um, so with that in mind, I mean, we could even, we could even explore that a little bit. We, we did, we hinted at this a little bit already at the beginning, but what are some, some senses of this text for us in our lives now? Do you know what I mean? Not only the way it's been fulfilled in Christ, but how is it being fulfilled by Christ in us now? What does what does this look like? Hmm. And we can then use that as a basis if we want for sermon starters or not. <laughs> yeah. Side note, real quick. Yeah. Verse nine. Yeah. Just kind of sounds like I told you so. <laughs> See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring up. I tell you, before they spring up, I tell you of them. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. You can almost see the, the three senses there, too. Of uh, Oh, heavens, yeah. Uh, there's the things I've done, uh-huh. and then there's the new things that are still to come. Yep. Oh, that's good. No, and I mean, it's a direct, and it's a direct reference to the actual event of prophecy. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, that was kind of probably a, that's a, verse nine's a fun moment for for Isaiah, right? He's like, oh yeah, we're doing some prophecy. Oh, he just referenced me. No, I mean, I mean, it's not, I assume Isaiah is not uh, too uh, vain, but uh, I know, I, I know, I guess if I were in Isaiah's shoes, I'd be like, ooh, he, that was a reference to me. <laughs> ooh, my favorite subject. <laughs> Told you, <ya. laughs> Told you I'd do it, right? But that's a recurring theme, right? In Christ, in, in the Lord's relationship to yes. Israel is like, you know, just like in that numbers story we were looking at last night, right? With how long are you not going to trust me that I can do mm-hmm. the things that I say I will do, right? Mm-hmm. You need to trust me. And even New Testament times too, where the disciples suddenly realize, you know, this is what he had been talking about. Yeah. This is what he had been referring to. And-, and then you apply to us and say, how often are we, we think we know what's going on. Yeah. And yet the fact is our verse seven, right? Our eyes are blind, right? Right. We dwell in darkness, right? What does see the former things have come to pass mean? What What are the former things? I don't know that I've ever understood that. I've, mm. I've tripped over that before. Yeah. So just the stuff that I've told you about before has already happened. So it's it's two options. One is it's two. It's a double. It's two kinds of prophecy. Um, I prophesied. I mean, in the context of Isaiah, that's a natural way to take it because 42, you know, is part of sort of what's called second Isaiah, right? And most mm-hmm. of, not all, but most of verse of chapters one through 39 is, is doom and gloom. There's a prediction that you will be put into exile, right? And then now we're getting the, just as I predicted that would happen and it happened now. You know, and you can see when I say you're going to be destroyed, you know, when I say you're going to be in exile, then it happened. Now I'm declaring a new thing, which is you're going to come home. Yeah. And that also will happen with the same surety that you, you went in exile. Hmm. That would be, I think, a a natural way to take it. Um, And the other possibility is to link this up a little bit with, with the kind of new covenant language in Jeremiah, right? That there was this old version of our relationship, and now there's this new version, right? Sure. So the old way we used to do things is done, and now we're doing a new thing, right? So it could be that, but um, but I think the former uh, seems to be more more natural. It's just kind of an exile kind of language. But actually, that has a lot of application for us, right? Is to, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I am struggling to trust 
in a promise or plan mm-hmm. of some sort. My thinking it through and it's is not <laughs> helping. It's no. looking back and saying, you yep. know what? Yep. You promised that and that happened. Mm-hmm. So why would this be any different? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how's that for a tropological sense? That'll work. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break and come back and do some sermon starters. Sound good? Okay. we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Here with my guest, Amanda Drury. I'm your host, John Drury, and we're looking at Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. So let's explore some sermon starters. Yeah, you know, I keep coming back to this thought of linking justice with spirit. Hmm. Uh, I've put my spirit upon him to bring forth justice to the nations. Why does that grab you? What is it about that? Well, you know, maybe it's, I think my mind is actually going towards the justice. What does it look like to uh, be one whom God uses to bring forth justice? And that involves his spirit upon us, uh, being delighted in, being chosen, upheld. What does it mean to practice justice as a light? Right. Yeah. Makes me think of that, mm. that, that f- phrase. Um, I've heard people say, you know, well, that they're, they're, they're generating more heat than light. You heard that phrase? I haven't. No. So that's helpful. I think that could be a, a fun place to start on if, if you wanted to make justice the theme of the sermon. Um, so, <laughs> so, 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 you know, light would be clear, right? So think of an argument, right? So you can have an argument, and, I, and I'm using an argument in the more positive or neutral sense of the term, right? So like, you know, say, you know, say, uh, you know, you and I are having a discussion about, uh, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of something that we would, what, what do we get discussions about? <laughs> and by discussion, do you mean argument? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, you can have a discussion that's just all heat and no light, right? There's yeah, just yeah. there's anger, there's maybe, maybe frustration, all, all, all noise and no light, perhaps with this passage. Right, 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 right. Noisy justice versus right enlightening justice. Right, justice that well, shines. it mixes the metaphors, but that's kind of fun, right? Mm-hmm. Well, noise versus the word of God, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, heat and you know indignation and anger. Because we associate that with justice, right? I mean, that's part right. of what anger's job is for, is to yeah. give us the energy to fight for what's right, ideally on behalf of others, right? And mm-hmm. so not all not all wrath is wrong, right? It needs to be moderated, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, patience and temperance, these, these virtues are the virtues that moderate um, ire, you know, indignation. So we don't have too much of it, right. but not none. Goal isn't of none. Yeah. Uh, Because then you just don't love justice, right? So to love justice is to have appropriate, you know, anger or indignation. But I mean, you can see how that just kind of so that so that the heat then light versus idea comes from the notion of because we think of of anger as hot, right? So you you get in a fight and you're all you're generating a whole lot of heat, 
but not a lot of light. Nothing's coming to light. You're not seeing anything. Yes. New. Yes. But sometimes you can have a little heat and in the process, you know, some light breaks forth. You actually see what should be the case, mm-hmm. what ought to be the case, mm-hmm. you know? Um, that's why I thought of that phrase. But yeah, like justice that is, you know, light rather than darkness, right? An actual bringing. It's, I mean, because it's saying bringing prisoners out yeah, of out the of dungeon. Darkness. And so often in our world, we imagine that justice is <laughs> is putting people in prison. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right? that's good. That's good. Yep. Yep. So there is there is some inversion mm-hmm. going on here, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that moved you. Something's on well, your mind. Well, you're not – so you're not putting people into prison. You are pulling them out. But what do you do with the bad guys? Like if there's justice here, injustice, there's got to be people doing something wrong. Sure. Well – Maybe we just don't worry about those. Well, no. I mean, even as as the story goes on, the Lord does come back – come as a warrior – as a man of war, uttering a shout, and he will oh, prevail yeah. against his enemies. There you go. So I believe that they will be uh, eliminated in some manner, <laughs> and uh, but also they're summoned to praise, right? Oh, where do you say um, that? Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praises from the end of the earth. Now, that could be... What verse? Verse 10. I was going oh, into okay. the where it keeps going to, you know? Yep. But I mean, even eight, right? I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images, right? I mean, this is, um, there's not a, a this isn't a, a sort of letting off the hook, right? Right. Uh, but precisely a reordering of all things. So, yeah. Well, the point isn't that nobody's in prison, I assume. It's that the wrong people are in prison, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Um. But uh, again, the imagery switches more to war by by the time you get to to verse uh, thirteen, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as for justice, I mean, the most important justice in 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 the uh, when you say we shouldn't worry about that, I mean, we, I think we we can worry about it, but um, at least biblically, the most important place of punishment is in the relationship between God and His people. God punishes his own children for their own good yeah yeah and the story of exile is their punishment right they have been punished and now it's time to come home yeah right so it's not locking it's not throwing them it's not locking them up and throwing away the key right Mm -hmm. god never you could almost say that god at least um in his relationship with with his people doesn't throw away the key right yeah locks them up sure um but uh not forever right there's a coming forth I don't know if that helps. Yeah. At all. Yeah. I'm wondering, can I pitch an idea to you? You tell me what you think of this. Yeah. Sometimes when I am working on a sermon, especially an Old Testament sermon, I will sometimes use that little fourfold sense of scripture that I mentioned earlier. Okay. As a little sort of framework. And I've even used it in a whole sermon. And I never I never name it. It's background noise. Uh-huh. But it gives me a little structure. Okay. To speak of how a text how it may have been heard to those, you know, you can do it like you could do four little vignettes, right? Yeah. How would the pe- how would people in exile have heard this, you know, tell a little story of someone in exile hearing this uh, being read, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And having this flicker of hope that we'll, we get to go home. Yeah. Boy, this longing. Yeah. And then another, and then another is a scene uh, at the baptism. You okay. tell the baptism scene okay. and quote the line mm-hmm. to get the resonance, mm-hmm. but from someone in the crowd, like you suggested. 
Um, and then, and then a little story of justice in our own time, right? Right. Someone falsely imprisoned, perhaps, or rightly imprisoned, but their sentence is up and now it's time for their restoration. Mm-hmm. That would, e- that would yeah, be better, yeah, actually, yeah. but maybe unjustly in the sense of how heavy the sentence was or whatever, sure. right? Or, or the continued sentencing that people would try to put on that person, even though yeah. they were set free. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then a little vignette of, you know, a hope of a justice for all yeah. at the end yeah. of time. Is it, is it Kentucky that just was saying they were going to give back the rights to vote to prisoners? Yeah. I mean, that would be be a very simple reality. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things where, like, there's a version of that sermon that's just like, how can I shoehorn my political uh, <laughs> point viewpoint, though I think it's correct, uh, into my sermon? There's that version. Mm-hmm. And then there's the version that weaves that into a story, right? So you narrate right, right. an individual story um, that highlights the, the, the fittingness of a uh, legislative change like that. Yeah. No, that'd be great. Um, and then the, the last moment, it, it's helpful to recognize, but, you know, this justice is not, you know, absolute. You know, mm-hmm. So you take the justice theme, but also use this kind of, and I've done that before and I start with it sometimes. And usually by the end, one of them really grabs me and then I just go with that one. Like oh, I don't okay. always, okay. like you don't have to keep that outline in place. So I was yeah. saying that to our hearers that like, sometimes you can kind of work the fourfold yep. sense of scripture. I like that. I like that. And then if one of them, and, and actually if it never, if one of them never runs, you, sermons don't all have to be. Like you and I prefer the kind of one point focused sermon, you know, right. but you and I also are special speakers. We don't have to preach every week anymore. <laughs> uh, when we used to, I think we did have sermon grab bag sermons occasionally, right? That yeah, have multiple yeah, yeah. ideas yep. or not. Yeah. I did. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the formulas that you use. And- yeah. Like now as a guest speaker, I tend to be a lot more focused in and some preachers have a schedule and a, and a, uh, uh, you know, staff or team or whatever that makes it so they can really massage a sermon into a real focused home right, thing. Right. But I don't think that's an absolute, you know, like there are times when you can take a text and look at it from a couple angles and that's okay. Uh-huh. Especially if there's narratives and there's a theme, right? And so there'd still be a theme. I think justice would be the theme. I mean, that is the, the repeated so. phrase yeah. over and over and over, mishpat over and over. And if, if someone just was like itching to go into deeper study to deepen that, because we do this kind of sequence, right? Observation, interpretation, application, but it's not that you're done now that you cycle back, right? So yeah. once you've decided your sermon theme, then you might go back. Like often I, I don't, I often will wait to do a word study until I know what I'm focused on. Cause like what, what, which word am I going to do a word study on? Well, I don't know what the theme yeah. of my sermon is yet. Right. Yeah. Now, if I know I'm going to be doing justice, okay, now go, maybe go do a word study on, on Mishpat and learn a little bit about how that term is used across Isaiah and then the prophets and then the whole, uh, the whole Old Testament, hmm. depending on how much time you have, sure. you know, in that order, right? Start with just Isaiah. Um, and that, that can also then enrich a sermon a little bit. I'm sure there's a few listeners who say, why didn't you just do that and report on it to us? But then <laughs> the process is important as a result with word studies, right? It just right, gets you right. in the Bible more, you know? What other directions you might want to go or, you, or more thoughts about that particular direction that you highlighted, the, the justice theme? Oh, let's see here. So you can you say more about that or alternative directions? Oh, you know, I I see the hope in this passage too. Going back to verse four, he will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. Hmm. 
and just this um, this longing and this this hope. You know, you you want that to be true that that God will not stop until justice comes, and it doesn't always seem that way. But to have that that hope in here, uh, so much of this. I mean, I guess that's prophecy for you is this this promise that you want to come true that you're just longing for just waiting for yeah that's really beautiful especially when you link it with nine yes yeah things once predicted have come and now i foretell new things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i announce you before they even spring up yeah and the verse six too i have taken you by the hand and kept you uh Again, that that hope of the of the presence of God with you, that uh, even if X, Y, or Z isn't happening, that happening that you are somehow still you are you are kept, you are held. Hmm. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice this. I mean, here here's a here's a possible title that that takes everything we said, but kind of puts a twist on it. Is tender justice? Hmm. That's the phrase that is coming to my mind. Tender justice. Well, there's tenderness in that yeah, taking you yeah. by the hand, in the putting a spirit, the delight, the not shouting, right? The not even breaking a bruised reed, right? Yeah. I, I like that, too, because I think sometimes we falsely differentiate between grace and justice. Yeah. I mean, that's why I chose it as an intentional yeah. uh, juxtaposition mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. imagery that I think matches the juxtapositions here. I think so. Yeah. 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 I just think it'd be a good sermon title. Like I would see that and be like, ooh, what's that? <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, some people don't work in titles, but. No, you expect to hear tender mercy or, or tender yeah. love, but tender justice. I yeah. like that. I like that. Is it is it Catherine Sonderiger that talks about God's attributes are distinct, but not, uh, not um, separate from each other, not, not indistinguished mm-hmm. from one another. What, what's the word I'm looking for? They're distinct, but not divided. That would work. I mean, it's the doctrine of simplicity. Yeah. Okay. But she's, I mean, the whole, her whole, her whole thing is deeply connected to, I mean, in terms of her most recent work is really focusing on that theme of simplicity. Unique, but not indivisible. There you go. Unique, but not divisible. Yes. 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 Unique, but not. Or unique, but indivisible. Right, right. Yeah. So it's not being tender or being just, but that. Exactly. And yet tenderness and justice are distinct. Yeah, So you can are. think them through, and yet they're identical in God's being. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? The way that Aquinas would put it um, is, and whether whether Sondrager is making the same point as him is an open question, but um, the way Thomas puts it is that uh, they're just, they're, uh, the same in reality, but diverse in idea, hmm. right? In re, no, in re rum and in ideum, right? So, like, there's a you can think them set distinctly, and yet in God, in God's reality, is is one and the same powerful lordship of God is executed with justice and with tenderness, hmm. right? Um, and to grasp that, one must think about tenderness and justice distinctly. But in the end, it's describing one and the same divine action. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it takes, and one may be more visible than the other at a particular moment. Yeah. You know, I think if I were to preach on that, I would spend some time on 
verse three, asking people to find themselves in this passage. The you know, have you have you felt like a bruised reed? Mm. And looking into okay, well, I don't know what a bruised reed is. I mean, I can imagine, but but I, I would want to look into that a bit more and find out if there's any significance behind that or a dimly burning wick. You know, what does that mean to be a dimly burning wick? Well, it'd be a fun thing to bring out on onto the stage and preaching. Yeah. Is huh. a wick with a candle in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or, or an old, you know, oil lamp <laughs> from, from the Middle East. Um, and it would actually be very fitting when, because of course the prophets write in poetry. So this is poetry and Hebrew poetry is built around parallelism. And so it actually is very fitting when you preach on Hebrew poetry to not pick one image, but always pick a pair. Okay. Always helpful. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because you will you will likely obscure the passage if you pick one image without the other, hmm. right? Hmm. Like it's not light to the nations. It's a covenant people, light to the nations. Somehow those are they're different, but they kind of go together. It's the same principle, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you could take a you could have a you could have a a wick, um, you know, either use a candle because that's what's familiar to us, or try to find an oil lamp if you wanted, which would have a wick hanging in it yeah, and it would be yeah. almost out. Yep. And it can last a long time just as a tiny little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And any little bump, it goes out, right? Um, and so you have a lit wick on a, on a, on a stool and you have a, a broken, a little bruised reed ready to snap. Yeah. Maybe dried out. Yeah. Um, on another. Or on the ground in front of it, right? Mm-hmm, and just let that mm-hmm. be the imagery and, yeah, you and almost, then tiptoe around it, right? You almost see the hand of God going in front of this burning wick, the, the dimly burning Ooh, wick. Yeah. Then um, you know, taking you by hand, kept you, just kind of this image yeah. of surrounding and protection. Yeah. Hedge of protection. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but all as a way of bringing justice on the earth, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. got this, right? It's not this, um, you know, sappy fear of doing harm right it's love right which executes justice mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. well thanks so much for giving an hour of your time uh to me to the scriptures to our listeners much 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 appreciated thanks and thank you as always to our listeners we appreciate you so much uh chiming in all these times uh be sure to subscribe and share if you get a chance and uh we want to say thanks to uh, Todd and Eric and all the great production work they do. I can't imagine doing this without them. And big thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.